You are listening to the Better Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Naniel Scott. I study nutritional science and I want to help you to make more informed nutrition choices because better nutrition is better health. So join me and this week's nutrition expert as you fuel your health journey with the Better Nutrition Podcast. Let's get into the episode. In this episode, I want to share how I got into nutrition and how I discovered nutrition as a science. If you're anything like me, you probably never really thought about nutrition being a science. It's something like biology or chemistry or something like that. And maybe you've heard a lot of what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat and you know what new superfood is going to grant us all immortality and what really restrictive diet we should follow because it's going to improve our health now i have my own thoughts on that maybe not for this episode but i did get to work with this amazing organization called aspen and something that they said is nutrition is a science it is not an opinion With all the emergence of the internet, there are so many opinions on the internet about nutrition and what you should and should not eat. But even beyond the internet, the way how I grew up, while looking back at it, I realized that I actually accidentally grew up having a pretty solid and nutrient-dense diet. And this is incidentally because... While we were eating, we really weren't thinking about, you know, we're getting all of these vitamins and minerals and electrolytes or fiber from eating these foods. It was really a result of the economy, what was accessible to us, the culture and the attitude towards food. So I grew up in rural Jamaica. We did not grow up very rich, I will tell you that. And what was accessible to us, it was fruits. I grew up with my cousins. Uh, When we were hungry, we wanted a snack to eat. Dinner wasn't ready. What was very easy for us to do is to pick some fruits. We actually didn't have any fruits in our yard. It was all concrete. But our neighbors had fruits. You know, they had apples. They had mangoes. They had star fruits, star apples, coconut trees, and those are things that we would snack on and for us it was fun to sit on the wall and eat that with some salt and chat whatever else but at the time we were not thinking oh my gosh we are so healthy we're following this really nutrient dense diet of eating all of these fruits and vegetables all that did not cross our minds whatsoever all we were thinking about was that this stuff tastes good and It's making us full. When we didn't eat it, we made juice from it. We also drank sugar and water. So it was really about what was accessible and affordable for us at the time. And I think at least within the communities that I was affiliated with and that I found myself in, that was what was true for most of those people. You could grow Kalaloo or your neighbor had Kalaloo. And that's another thing is that when I was growing up, it was very community centered. So it wasn't a strange thing to 
you know, have some crops, some apples or whatever, and share that with your neighbor because you have it in abundance. It it was normal to say, hey, you know, I picked some of this to share it with your neighbor who might not have any. So it, it was really easy to have stuff like Hallelujah. For those of you who aren't familiar with what that is, that's something that's similar to collard greens, I think. Um, you know, pop choy, you could plant your bell peppers, your tomatoes, uh, cabbage, whatever it is, and you could have that for dinner. Another thing is that was much cheaper than getting fatty cuts of meat. Also, oil was quite expensive. In addition to this, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of Western fast food chains in Jamaica. Really, it was KFC, Burger King, Domino's, and Pizza Hut. That was all that was there. Funny enough, I went back home in January, and now we have Popeyes, we have Wendy's, we have Starbucks, uh, and there is a Krispy Kreme that I saw. It said, coming soon. I don't even have a Krispy Kreme near me, but that was very interesting. And so, you know, fast food was quite expensive, so it wasn't a regular thing in our diet. And so in those ways, we were actually able to stay away from some high-fat fast foods. And cooking was something that was traditional and it was cultural. And it was fun for me to watch my mom cook and it was fun for me to learn and see all the seasonings that she would be putting in the food. And that was something that I wanted to participate in. Recently, I've been, you know, looking into some research in the Mediterranean diet. Say that three times fast. Okay. But I've been looking into that and it's a a pretty old diet. And it was giving a lot of emphasis on it being traditional and not just a diet, but a lifestyle. And I think that for a lot of ethnic groups, food isn't just, you know, we're eating it, but it's a part of our lifestyle. It's a part of our culture. So that is something that I could have resonated with growing up. Now, when I moved to the U.S., it was a completely different story. For me, I've always been very interested in For me, I've always been very interested in determinants of health. What's improving your health? What's making it decline? What's making it worse? What's making people sick? And how can you help people? So at the time, I did think that I wanted to be a doctor. When I moved to the U.S., my very first week here, I went to the hospital the most at that time that I've ever been to the hospital in my life. To visit people, of course. I wasn't sick. So my dad had already lived here, you know, he already had a community and friends around him. And so we were going to the hospital to visit his friends. And I started to realize a really stark difference in the health of the population in the different countries. And something that stood out to me was their diet. The diet was completely different. What was affordable was completely different. The culture towards food was different. What was accessible was different. 
I now no longer could go over to my neighbor's house and pick fruits off her tree. That was impossible. And I do live somewhere that is quite cold for most of the year. So that's not possible either. But even when I was in warmer states, I realized that that was not the norm either. And it's really interesting because, you know, the food and or nutrition is a really big determinant of health. And so there's this larger question again of what does the economy of these people look like? What What's their economic status? What's accessible to them? Uh, what does their culture around food and attitude towards food in this country? So... I actually started my undergrad career studying pathobiology because, as I said, I was very interested in diseases. I wanted to figure out where these things were coming from and how to stop them. While doing pathobiology, for me personally, I wasn't quite finding the thing that I wanted to learn more about. I did end up taking the nutrition course, a very basic one, and it hit the spot for me. There are those times in life that you feel a little spark something really hits you at that sweet spot and it's like yes that's it that's the thing this is where i'm supposed to be this is why i want to learn more about and that was it for me with that nutrition class i started to learn more about diseases and you know the pathogenesis how to treat and how to prevent it um with lifestyle and dietary changes and of course there was mention of modern medicine and surgical interventions for some things but for me that was very very interesting and at that time still i wasn't really thinking about nutrition as a science i was just thinking that this is very familiar to me because also growing up in jamaica something that we say all the time is it's gas drink some tea let me tell you, if your arm hurts, you have gas. If your head hurts, it's gas. Your stomach hurts, you know that's most definitely gas. Your leg hurts, it's gas. Drink some tea. And that's not necessarily to say that it's actually gas, but the theory behind it is there's going to be some herb, some bush that's going to be able to help you. I've seen my mom drink Guinean weed and be on the route when she would have headaches. There were things that you could drink when you were having menstrual cramps. Um, I remember meeting in a car accident twice and our neighbor, I was having really bad pains actually, and our neighbor suggested she was an older woman. Um, and you know, you really would rely on the older people in our community for some wisdom in that area as to what herbs were efficient. Um, and, you know, she suggested a herb that we could boil and I could drink that would really help with the pain that I was feeling at the time. And I could have so many stories about this herb thing, but that made a connection in my mind as to, oh, the things that you eat and maybe you drink has some relation to your health and the quality of your health. So that's what I was really trying to get from these nutrition classes. Tell me the magic. Tell me what people can eat. Tell me what they're not supposed to eat in order to improve their health. It didn't ring a bell to me at the time that this was a science that was being studied. 
people were investigating what is it that's in these foods and the mechanisms. How is it working with our body to allow us to, you know, follow through on these functions and be healthy? It did not occur to me at that time. However, I started in the NPOID lab at UConn, the Nutrient Prevention of Obesity, Inflammatory, and Liver Diseases lab. And in that lab, they investigate bioactive compounds. Um, you know, what's in the food that's giving us this health benefit? It absolutely blew my mind. For the first time, I was like, wait. It's not just what my grandma is telling me. Like, you can take what my grandma just told me about this Cerise, um bush herb and it can be studied. You can take this to the lab and we can figure out possibly what's actually in here. What's the mechanisms? How is it working to relieve the headache that my grandma said it would relieve? And is it actually relieving the headache or is it a placebo effect? Are we going to find anything significant or not? And for me, that was absolutely mind-blowing because I had no idea that this was a science that we could investigate, that we could have concrete, credible, verifiable information on as to how these things work, what dosage, what form, all of that. And that did it for me. That did it for me. I was now in love with nutrition because I needed to get more information as to how these things are done. So I spent quite a lot of time in the lab uh, learning these techniques and seeing them being done and learning for myself like, oh, wow, this is something that is possible. This is something that people do. This is something that currently happens all across the country, all across the world. But nutrition is a very underrated science, if you ask me. Very underrated, but very important because how else do we know the dietary guidelines and the servings uh, of what we're supposed to eat? How else do we know what is actually dangerous? And if something isn't dangerous to consume, and not only that, but we also learn about different implications in our health and to look at things from a systems level and not necessarily boil it down to the individual. Like I've really been trying to hammer down in this episode is it goes beyond an individual as to, you know, what you're eating um, that there's there's so much more to it. And it's it's really a systems level equation that we're looking at here. So apart from me, you know, really just having a vested interest in nutrition because it, it really sparks for me and nutritional science research and just how that plays a part in more health. I do know that other people, especially right now, I think since COVID, you know, people have become really interested in how to improve their health and, you know, how they can be more involved in this process with their diet and their lifestyle. And something that really, really hits me is, you know, all the misinformation that's on the internet. And I think it's really rooted in fear and fear mongering. 
um, you know, saying all these things are inflammatory and all of these things are toxic and to cut this out of your diet right now because it's so bad for you. When, again, we look at things from a broader lens, you realize that that is so rooted in shame because imagine if, shoot, that's what's accessible to me. This is what I can have. And to really hammer down that feeling of shame as to you are doing this to yourself, you're causing yourself to die per se and, and be so sick because you're not cutting out vegetable oil and you're not cutting out vegetables. It really hits. It really hits for me because I think if you are actually interested in, you know, helping people and improving their health, then perhaps something to look at is how do we make more nutrient-dense foods more accessible for people? How do we point people in the direction of where these resources are? How do we teach them how to make this culturally um, relevant for them? And then how do we affect policies so that people do have access to these foods. Something that I noticed actually living in the US is that having access to fruits and vegetables is somewhat of a status symbol, you know, that you can afford to eat fruits and vegetables and you can afford to shop at places like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and wherever else. But you know, where I came from, it wasn't a status symbol that you could eat fruits and vegetables. It was free. You could pick it off the tree and of course you had to go to the market and buy some stuff that you couldn't get but going to the market was not a very posh thing we were going to the market because we needed the food right so I thought that was a really huge culture shift when I moved to the U.S. and I noticed that eating these things is some kind of status symbol being able to afford to eat a diet like this and maybe some kind of celebrity diet where, you know, I try to get these servings of fruits and these servings of vegetables and I don't eat these oils and I don't eat meat and I get my exercise. And it starts to seem like such an unattainable thing that is for people with a higher tax bracket. And so, which is why I, and so it really hits me when there when there are these internet nutritionists who give these unfounded guidelines that are really rooted in shame, instead of actually trying to help people. Um, another thing is, I know that money does not grow on trees. And if you are very invested in your health and you are trying to eat something that's nutrient dense, and mind you, I said that it can actually be more expensive to eat fruits and vegetables because when you go to McDonald's, you can go get something off the dollar menu. You can get a few things off the dollar menu that might be cheaper than going to the grocery store and getting some stuff that's more nutrient-dense. The other thing to think about is where is the closest grocery store for most people? How far is that? Do they have a means of transportation to get there? Or are convenience stores closer to them? Are fast food chains closer? 
do they have the necessary appliances to make these foods? These are the things that, you know, if you really do want to help people, that's something that should be looked into instead of driving fear into them because they're not eating right. How do you help them to do so? And with this rise of, I think, people really being interested in playing a more active role in the status of their health, I don't think that we should be bamboozled doing so. Again, I know that money does not grow on trees. So it's like all of these superfoods and these diets that you're investing into. And, you know, this new drink, this new shake, this new green powder, this new liquid elixir, basically, that's going to save you and recover your health. And you're putting your dollars into that. And how do you know that it works? How do you know that it says that what it says it does, it's going to do? Again, I don't think we should be bamboozled while trying to be healthier. And I think it's a it's a really slippery slope, right? Because on one end, buying groceries and nutrient-dense foods might be expensive. And so perhaps it would be very beneficial for you to be able to supplement your diet with some of these things that are claiming to provide these great health benefits. But as consumers, it's also very important for us to think about, okay, how do we know that this works? Do we know if it works? What's the science behind it? What's the dosage? Um, Who tested this? Does it have what it says it has in it? Um... What's the best form in which this thing works? And there's so much that goes into the science of nutrition. And there's so much that even I'm still learning about it. I think that's also the thing with science is that science is discovery. You know, the science is always changing. You're learning new things. For me right now, I find that it makes more sense for me to just go to the supermarket and get something that I like. That's another thing that I I do is I only eat what I like. I don't push myself to eat a diet of foods that I hate the flavor of. And then I'm gonna feel bad about myself when I stop eating this diet because I didn't really like it in the first place. And listen, that's a really cool thing about food is that you eat it and it tastes good and you're not really thinking about what it's doing for your body. Because your body is going gonna, gonna to do it, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And then the foods that we eat, it allows it to carry out these functions and to do these things to keep us healthy and fit. Your white blood cells are going to fight those diseases. You know, your red blood cells are going to carry the oxygen. Um, your body's going to metabolize things. And there's so many processes that's going on. And the foods that we eat enable us to be able to do those things. But we're just eating our food and we're enjoying it. We're not consciously aware of when and how these processes are taking place. And I think that's really cool that we just eat and it's enjoyable for us. Imagine if it's not enjoyable, (laughs) then you don't want to eat anymore. And you're robbing your body of being able to do these things. 
And, and then in addition to that, I try not to have a very restrictive diet. This is not me giving you dietary advice. I'm sharing what I do based off what I currently know. Um, but I try not to have a very restrictive diet. I, I do think, again, with the economic factor of it and accessibility, um, adding to your diet instead of removing could be a lot more beneficial. So add more nutrient-dense foods instead of saying, don't eat donuts and don't eat pizza. Maybe eat a salad on the side with your pizza. Because I think that for a lot of us, you know, if we're subtracting from our diet, then that means we're not going to eat. That means we are now in starvation mode, which isn't, which isn't great either. So nutrition as a science is so cool to me, but I think that it's really, really important for the population because economically, we don't want to be putting our dollars in the wrong place. We don't want to be investing in things that we think are going to promote or increase our health, but in fact, it's not doing quite what it promised to do. Um, we also learn what serving size of different kinds of foods that is going to help us. In addition to that, if we are having an interest in our diet and how that improves our health, the science of nutrition literally studies that so we know. So, you know, I do encourage you to think about these things. Um, there are people who do study nutrition, you know, get a degree in it, a bachelor's degree, a master's, a PhD, because like any other science, it's something that does take a while to study and things don't exist in a vacuum. So you have to learn how, so you have to learn and things don't exist in a vacuum. So it does take a time to learn different sciences and then how that correlates with the science that you're interested in. So it, it's, it's, really not a made-up thing it's not here say it's not oh i think that garlic is now this amazing superfood that cleared up my eyesight no i don't have to wear glasses anymore so everybody should eat garlic if you want to have 20 20 vision and then you go out and you buy all of these garlic supplements and you start putting a whole bunch of garlic in your diet for this reason uh, you know, there's actually verifiable research, incredible research, and there are people who give this information. So, and I, they are on the internet as well. If a dietitian is inaccessible to you. There's so many things that we can talk about with nutrition, which is really why I started this podcast with the hopes of doing that. Um, there's so many aspects to it, whether that's research, whether that's community nutrition. And I really do hope to delve further into this and to give you some more insights into the science of nutrition. But until then, I do hope that everyone stays safe and keeps well until our next episode.